0: Hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 128. So glad you could join me on your Sunday. Today's guest is Bill Gloss, who will be with us in just about 15 minutes. But before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry, and I know you do too, so please do click the like button. Make sure you're subscribed. Share this wherever you can. If you're watching, listening later on iTunes or something, leave a review. On Spotify, that helps. Every platform has something you can click to help us out in spreading the poetry all around the world, which is what we're always trying to do. Now to begin, we're going to start with today's poem, the Poets Respond poem. And uh, Bruce Bennett, uh, a real legend within the literary community, is here with us in just a moment. Let me call up Bruce and see if we can get him on the line. Hey, Bruce, this is Tim with Vettel, and you are live on the air. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. I was trying to reach you through Skype, but it didn't work. So anyway thanks, yes,
0: yeah, no problem at all. I mean, this is really a, a podcast anyway, so uh, oh, I know. I know. so so we uh, have the audio, which is all that really matters that 's uh, great, but, but yeah, do you want to tell us about this poem that you wrote today? I just loved it.
1: Oh, well, thank you, Tim. Uh, yes, uh, as I mentioned, we live fairly near Auburn, so everybody around here is very conscious of crows, which may or may not be a problem. but I happened to be looking at The Washington Post, and there was an article about. Sunnyvale, California which is having the same problem and actually since the poem was posted I've already heard from people who are writing in about crows in their particular area so what happens is there's thousands and thousands of crows and the people who live in the cities have trouble with them for various reasons which the article mentioned and I just happened to run across that and started to write the poem and it got to be Uh, longer and what it is. And I suddenly thought, hey, this is one for Poets Respond if Tim's interested. So I I was delighted you were.
0: Well, the the timing was interesting, too. We actually, uh, just for me personally, we went to Disneyland um, last week. And Disneyland was full of crows in the same way, which I'd never seen before, right over like the the Haunted Mansion kind of Pirates of the Caribbean area. And um, So that was really fun to see, and then to see a poem about this, too. Um,
1: well, and also the article in the Washington Post starts out with, of course, Hitchcock, and they said these crows are not going to kill people. But, but anyway, it's funny because, uh, you know, you really do have mixed feelings, and Auburn's about 20 miles away from where I live. And when I drive there, the fields, we also have a lot of geese around, and they're in the field, but the crows recently have just been all over the place, in the fields. Uh, and I wrote another poem just the day before about seeing a dead deer next to the road, and there were crows on the deer, and then there were crows in the sky approaching. And so it's, <laughs> we're, we're really living in crow land, I guess.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting, too, just knowing how smart they are, too. I mean, yeah, they're, they're some yeah. of the smartest animals um, in the world. And, right. Uh, to see, you know, how social and... And um, I don't know, they're, they're really amazing to watch, so it's interesting to see well, these. Well, the part that
1: upset me, the only thing, I mean, they've tried everything as this uh, place in Sunny, uh, Sunnyvale is. Uh, but the thing is, they, they did have a crow hunt, and, uh, you know, they killed a lot of them. And it didn't, you know, it didn't make them go away, but people started to think, wait a minute, you know, that, that's going a little too far. Scare them if you want. But, uh, you know, don't kill them anyway. So that was part of what was behind mm-hmm. what I was thinking. I mean, they were here before we were. Yeah.
0: And uh, your poem, uh, the, the, what I loved about it, in addition to just the, the great images that you move through and the the humor that's involved as well, which we're always looking for because it's rare, um, is the, the form. It's just so well done. And you're a formalist poet. I wonder, it made me wonder how... How long it takes to write a poem like this? Like, do you th- sort of think in meter and rhyme? I mean, that the it just so flawlessly moves through the meter and rhyme. Is it something that you're so trained at that you don't have to work at? You kind of think that way, or does it?
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. They just, I, in fact, when I see an article in the paper, uh, almost immediately, I'll, I'll just start a poem and I write them really quickly. Uh, I know you had Melissa Balmain on a, mm-hmm. a, recently and uh, I frequently send poems to poems of the week and of course she's looking for light verse generally but uh, you know that those are always fun but uh, I've just found uh, what, my first book of poetry was called Taking Off, not my second book and uh, I realized that a lot of my work just comes from seeing something and almost immediately taking off mm. from it and when I'm reading the New York Times or the Washington Post or just hearing something uh, yeah a, a, you know a line or two will come into my head and then I will finish it almost immediately so most of my poems are pretty short this is, this is actually one of my longer poems
0: oh, Yeah. well uh, I think we'll have to have you I'd love to have you as a guest for a full show sometime so we'll have to do that and, and set up Skype for sure ahead of time um, but do you want to go ahead and read the poem
1: Sure, sure, and uh, thank you for uh, the changes that you made, because I was having technical problems trying to, to uh, read it the first time. But. Yeah, no problem. Good. Uh, and of course, the title is uh, Taking Off From Frost, Whose Woods These Are. Whose Woods These Were. If we could reason with the crows, it might not help us, but who knows, thus Sunnyvale's embattled mare. They've tried all sorts of things, but there the crows still are and will remain. So far, all efforts are in vain. The sidewalks will stay coated white. The skies will darken every night as countless crows fly home to roost. The citizens must just get used to living with an alien species. But it's not just the noise and feces. It's that crows ought to understand who owns and should control the land. What makes them think they have a stake in what they rudely seek to take that isn't theirs? Why don't they flock to garbage on some other block? What makes them think they own the bowers we've planted here that should be ours? Let them beware. We will resort to stronger means. We'll go to court, throw nature out with all her minions, though they've a right. Their opinions.
0: Yeah, that was just great. Thanks so much for writing this poem and sharing with us and joining us today, Bruce.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Tim. I really enjoy Rattle, and it's great to be on it
0: in this way. Awesome. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to you Thanks soon. A lot. Yep. yep. Bye bye. Bye. Yeah, that was Bruce Bennett, who, um, you know, as a formalist, he was the co or a longtime editor of Field. Um, he co founded Plowshares. Um, Bruce goes back, and it's just a brilliant poet. It's wonderful to have a poem from him in Poets Respond. And uh, let's look at the other poem, too, before we get to our main guest. Uh, On Tuesday, we published a poem uh, on Bob Hickok's birthday. And this is by Karan Kapoor, Circles. And uh, Karan writes, Bob Hickok's birthday is today. I write poems because I want to make someone feel the same way Bob's poems make me feel, full of wonder, beauty, joy, and innocence. Each of his poems take me to a place beyond suffering. I imagine it'd be easier for Sisyphus to roll his boulder up and down the hill if there was um, Tudczewski in the background, or I was reading him Bob's poems. I do not like that we write tribute poems to poets only once they're dead. Bob Hickok is alive and writing the most surprising poems and deserves to be celebrated every day, but especially today. I'm so glad he was born. His poems make me want to be a better person. And that was Wednesday's poem. And I love the idea of um, paying tribute to poets, um, while they're still alive, rather than waiting until they've passed on. And Bob, you know, have many, many, many more poems in him that are coming our way. Um, so happy birthday to Bob with this poem, um, which is a very interesting metaphor for what poetry does, I thought. Uh, this is Karan Kapoor with uh, Circles. Here we go. I have to shrink
2: the screen a little bit. There we go. That's better. Circles after Bob Hickok I do not want my mother to die. My mother does not want her mother to die. Her mother does not want her husband to die. Her husband does not want his son to die. His son does not want his daughter to die. His daughter is too young to pronounce death, let alone decipher it. Three days later, when her grandfather will die, she'll be braiding her doll's hair. 36 years later, when her father will die, she'll be looking with ocean eyes at her six-year-old daughter braiding the hair of her doll. Three days later, tired of the doll, her daughter will ask her the question she did not ask her mother. Where do they go? She won't know what words to put in her mouth, so she'll leave her mouth open. She'll chew on it all night. Nobody wants to go somewhere where they can't return from, do they? But then who wants to go so far only to return? My father cuts the strings of kites when they are way up in the sky. The world is full of kites like these.
0: The world is full of kites like these. I just love that ending and that metaphor. Once again it was called Kapoor with circles after Bob Hickok. That was Tuesday's poem last week. What we're going to do is start having, you know, talking about the last poem uh, rather than having a preview. So uh, we have another poem coming up this Tuesday, which you will see on Tuesday, but we'll keep it a surprise until then. Um, So we're going to take a quick break and I'm going to go to today's main guest, uh, Bill Gloss. So we'll see him in just a moment. Um, Hang on and I will be right back. And we're back. Thanks for your patience. Uh, Bill Gloss is an award-winning writer whose honors include the F. Scott Fitzgerald Short Story Award, the Dateline Award for Excellence in Journalism, and the Heroes Voices Award for Veterans Poetry. Bill is the author of five books of poetry, most recently Postscript to War and Virginia Walkabout, um, and two chapbooks as well. From 2003 to 2020, Bill was a contributing editor with Virginia Living and a regular contributor to other magazines. He still writes freelance articles, appears frequently as a featured speaker on Literary Craft, and serves as a judge in writing contests. Hundreds of his articles, stories, and poems have appeared in numerous publications. Um, Yeah, You can find his website at BillGlose.com. And uh, here he is, Bill Glose. Hey, Bill, how you
3: doing? Hey, doing great. Glad to join you.
0: Yeah, it's wonderful to have you. I've been a fan of your work for a long time. That, I, I mentioned it before, but that Phases of Erasure poem is, one of the, I think, one of the most creative and, and powerful poems we've ever published. I love that poem. And then poems that we've come up with uh, since then event just wonderful too. So it's really great to have you as a guest today.
3: Uh, yeah, I was, really, I was really glad when, when you took Sasquatch. <laughs> that, was a, <laughs> that was a fun poem. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, the Phases of Erasure, that one uh, took a, a, a long time uh, to create, I, um, you know, I was thinking about how in uh, in war, you know, when soldiers go off, when they first join the military, they've got these these great feelings of of pride, and and they come in with uh, everything they grew up with as civilians, as as children. Uh, you know, infantry is has the word infant in it. You know, mm-hmm. we send kids off to fight our wars. And so we go in with this kid's mentality and it is quickly bruised and battered. And so I I thought a great way to show uh, of someone going from their idealistic nature to being bruised and changed to eventually at the end being shattered was to use an erasure poem. Instead of taking found poetry, using something and erasing pieces of it to create the poem, I created it myself so i work from from two different ends phases of erasure a soldier's journey one phase line whiskey love was the first word uttered after mama and papa who scratched your babbling language into a memory book to mark milestones from your childhood A dictionary that grew wide as distance between stars. The first time a new principle was introduced, gravity keeps us down, it's impossible to disappear. You always questioned why. Your parents encouraged you to walk, to run, to leap. Your mind knew nothing of boundaries, the barriers preventing fantasies from becoming real. In your world, matters of the soul harmonized with crickets' heartbeats. When neighborhood kids trampled the line of day-lilies by the duck-pond, you cried, confused by cheerful shows of power and dominance. Your lust was for all things green and growing. Not a thing flew in the blue sky that did not make you want to soar fireworks on fourth of july made you think of kaleidoscopes the sparkled bombs exploding high up in the black and the tattered tumbling cardboard shrapnel of falling leaves dreams full of joy a boy in your pajamas flying out of bed no pain when you thudded to the carpet in a room filled with matchbox cars and toy soldiers your last thought on nights when the full moon swallowed your window wondering if to-morrow you might wake up on its foreign soil wondering whether life would be cockeyed peering down through your window like a mourner peeking into a grave or if your beating heart would still find magic among its craters god knows how many times you took apart toasters and clocks having to know what slows the hour hand which cog locks in with which gear to combat the slippage of seconds and how many times you picked through trash cans searching every nook prying apart shadows until each hidden treasure becomes yours the only enemy you'd ever known was ignorance the only mystery how every unturned stone did not ignite everyone's curiosity who can hide the longest was your favorite game the cavern behind your captain's bed becoming an improvised fort in which you'd sit for hours imagining devices that might make you invisible that might make your ridiculous wants come true you longed to turn the magic spinning through your body into something tangible an overcoat you could drape over inanimate objects to give them life to fill every empty space with ideas stitched from the fabric of your dictionary until the last void stoppers with the very last word your parents took away your only pet a turtle after exploring fingers got stuck a third time in its shell asking but what is inside You hated not touching the answer, something so full of possibility. 2. Phase Line Alpha Love was the first word scratched from your dictionary, the first principle to disappear. Your parents knew nothing of the real world matters of the heart trampled by power and lust not a thing flew in the blue sky that did not make you think of bombs and shrapnel dreams of pain filled your nights wondering if to-morrow foreign soil would be your grave your beating heart knows how time slows in combat how every shadow becomes the enemy how every unturned stone can hide an improvised device that wants to turn your body into an inanimate object to empty your dictionary until the last word in its shell is hate three phase line romeo nothing matters not the blue sky not dreams of tomorrow your beating heart slows becomes stone
0: Yeah, that is just such a great poem. Can you explain a little bit about how it came to be as an erasure? Was that your your idea originally to have it written that way, or or when did you come to that? I, I you mentioned um, in in an interview or essay or something that I saw that you revise a lot. You revise, revise, revise was one of yeah. your dictums, right? Um, so, so how uh, much of that came in the revision? Like, at what point did you realize that that was the form that the poem should take? Uh
3: originally I was. Down some some thoughts of what I wanted to create with this, and I had seen some other erasure poems, which in general use found work.
0: Actually, hang on, Bill.
3: Erase. Bill, hang on one second. I'm and, gonna yes.
0: I'm gonna hang up and call you back, and hopefully we'll get a better connection because it's it was stable a little bit for a while, then it gets getting choppy again. So let me just hang up, and maybe we'll get a better better server, more direct or something.
3: Okay. Or should should I try that maybe? Yeah, I'm just
0: going to hang up and I'll call you back. So so just answer when okay. I call. Okay. Yeah. So sorry everybody. It's uh sometimes that happens. Hey Billy, are you there? Let's see. Maybe that worked a little better.
3: It is Okay, is that any better
0: now? I, I hope so. The the weird thing which usually doesn't happen is that um your your video not is choppy, but your voice was choppy. Usually they like prefer the audio. I don't know. But anyway, we'll see if it's better now. Um okay. Yeah. So, so I was just asking about the uh, how how the uh, the erasure poem came to be. So, so right. can you start over with that?
3: Right. So, I I was gathering my I gathered up information uh, for this poem, and I started creating it. And as I did, I I was thinking about found poetry and how. Uh, uh, a poem can be pulled from something else, from a line of text, from a page in a magazine, from anything. And, uh, and I was thinking about how one is, changes the original material. And that was the same message I was trying to give in this, showing the change that happens with a soldier and so uh, pretty near the beginning, I, I wanted to make this an erasure of poem. Uh, but I didn't have the the text, you know, uh, the pages that I was going to take it from found. So I, I was creating it uh, from whole cloth. And, you know, there's several places in there when it gets near the end where it's talking about, about hate and combat and things like that. And it was tricky. <laughs> Working those into the beginning when, uh, when it's showing the, the childlike enthusiasm mm-hmm. for life, and uh, uh, to get those in there. Let's see if I can find. You know, so talking about the fireworks with the sparkled bombs exploding, and talking about the uh, what it would be like to be on the moon, looking down through the window. If that would be like looking into your grave. And so working some things like that and to try to keep some childish magic alive while still placing those words into the text to be able to be used later.
0: Oh, that's so fascinating. So I I didn't imagine that, that you sort of, it was almost like an erasure in reverse, like you're planting evidence to, you know, planting something to appear later. That is really, really interesting.
3: Right. Um, so, yeah, so so it did it did go both ways, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about how you came into? First, you were a soldier in the Gulf War. So, do you want to talk about about how you became a soldier and 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 what what the, what happened?
3: Okay, so I uh, I am not just a veteran. I, I am the son of a veteran. My father uh, was an Air Force pilot uh, for twenty three years. Uh, he flew in Vietnam. And I grew up on Air Force bases overseas. And as with most kids, I wanted to be like my father. You know, as with with mo- most boys, I, I wanted to do what he did, but I've got bad eyes. So when I went off to college and enrolled in Air Force ROTC, I, I thought I was on track to become a pilot, and uh, they assigned me to a missileer slot instead. Uh, So I figured, okay, if I can't fly the planes, I'm going to jump out of them. (laughs) And so I went next door to Army ROTC, and I signed on, and I became a paratrooper.
0: Hmm.
3: So that's how that all evolved.
0: And and at what point did you become a poet? Were Were you writing poems even at that time, or is it a more recent thing that you've come to?
3: Yeah, so... The poetry uh, came about after uh, the war. Uh, I've always been a writer. I've, I, I wrote uh, all kinds of stories and tiny little novelettes when I was a kid. And uh, I, I've just always written and been enamored with the written word. Uh, when, I, when I got out of the army, I was writing uh, articles, essays, short stories, and I was working on a novel. I was doing all of that, but I wasn't writing about my war experiences. It was all made up. And my writing mentor, uh, Billy Wall, he, he kept prodding me and encouraging me to uh, write about my war. And uh, so I did start writing some poems. I figured that was an, uh, a way... I could examine things without having to come up with an answer, Hmm. you know, and just, just exploring through poetry. I found very cathartic and most of them, I just, I would write them and stick them in a drawer. Uh, Some other friends of mine encouraged me to go to open mics and start reading them. And the first time I did, it was a a scary Hmm. experience because so I have this image of myself as everyone does and what I want people to think of me is different from the person I was in war. Mm. Uh, And I was worried what, what people would think of me if they saw what I did, what I thought and what I experienced, Uh, what I found, however, uh, after I read the first poem at one of these open mics was great acceptance and, you know, people coming up to me and thanking me for sharing and, and uh, talking about their brothers or sisters or parents or or friends who had gone off to war and not come back the same. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's been, a, you know, the healing power of words has really helped me out through poetry.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and it, you know, it's one of the things that we talk about all the time is how much uh, the power of poetry as a, as a vehicle for both healing and exploration, which are really, they go hand in hand uh, Mm -hmm. because it's, it's making sense of things that is healing. And so, you know, so um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's no wonder that you're, you're such interesting good poems when when you're coming from from that perspective, because it's, it's that honesty and that, and that true seeking nature that, that we really really resonates with people, I think. Um, do you want to read another poem, and then we'll, we'll talk more?
3: Uh, certainly. Um, so I think uh, since uh, Bruce Bennett was doing a formal poem at the beginning of the show, uh, I, I thought I'd do a sonnet myself. Uh, unlike Bruce, <laughs> formal poems uh, do not come naturally to me, but I, I do like the way they push me into areas uh, that I wasn't expecting. Uh, I also love the beauty of the sonnet and uh, the interesting surprises that come up when you adhere to its form. Uh, This particular poem uh, rockets off into space before (laughs) coming back into Earth. Anatomy lesson. Gold. Anodized plaques depict the human race. Conceived by Sagan, they arrow through space toward Taurus, two million years away. The man's right hand raised as if to convey welcoming wishes of our soft bodies, naked, intact. All of NASA agrees that this is the image we should broadcast Instead of what remains after the blast of a roadside bomb, how skin tears apart to show the ribs, the hollow muscled heart, the notch in which it sits atop a lung, and there the bit off papillated tongue of a soldier before he could describe what beat within, what made him feel alive.
0: That was anatomy lesson um, from Postscript to War, uh, the newest book by Bill Gloss. And um, so, one of the things, Bill, that uh, I, always, I always use this metaphor for poetry, um, and I compare it to skydiving. <laughs> I feel like it's uh, uh-huh. like mental skydiving in a way, because I think that it's the kind of um, a thrill that, that some people appreciate as a thrill and other people appreciate as terrifying, <laughs> and, you know, and it's that, it's that access to something that we didn't know we know, or don't want to think about. Like it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. And some people are like sort of challenge seekers mentally and um, and enjoy skydiving and other people, um, you know, that's the last thing on earth they would want to uh-huh. do. Um, so, so as someone, I think you're the only poet I've ever talked to who actually has skydived. Is that a ridiculous comparison? Like, is there a thrill to it um, that you could relate to poetry at all?
3: Uh, there, there, so one of the things about skydiving is that uh, when you go out, you're hurtling toward uh, toward a target and you have to adapt to the environment as you go. Uh, however, most of the uh, parachuting that I did, uh, military jumping is very different from skydiving when, when people think of skydiving they think of a football game and someone with smoke trailing mm-hmm. from his boot as he does little circles and acrobatic uh in the sky and then tiptoes off at the 50 yard line uh with military jumping um when we exit the well first off we jump very low uh the 82nd we our training jumps we we exit the aircraft at 800 feet above ground level. Oh. And for combat jumps, it's 500 feet oh, above wow. ground level. So there's really not a lot of time. When When you exit the aircraft, uh, the prop blast from it throws you sideways. You have this immediate jerk and you're hooked into the aircraft with a static line that pulls your parachute out from uh, the pack on your back Hmm. and if you don't feel that opening shock in the first four seconds out the door you've got to pull the reserve on your stomach otherwise you're going to hit the ground Uh, and uh, even after your chute opens and you level out you still are coming down to the ground at 18 to 22 feet per second oh wow so so what they train you to do is to curve your body, uh, you know, if, if you think of like the, yeah, there you go, uh, to curve your body so that when you land, you spread the impact out all across uh, your body instead of just landing straight up and down. Uh, because if you do that, you can break a leg. Uh, in in every battalion-sized jump that I did, at least one person broke a leg, Oh wow. more. Wow, I had I, no idea. I, had it yeah and I had a total of 60 jumps while I was in uh and the the only injury I got I got a concussion on uh one of the jumps
0: hmm. right. so so uh, let, let's go to another poem what do you want to read next
3: okay well we had just talked about parachuting so I, I thought I'd uh, do a parachuting poem that comes from my uh, an earlier collection called half a man and this is called aerodynamics Pointed tips of bullets slice air with supersonic cracks. Mortar rounds hurl themselves from tubes, fins providing grace to parabolas. T-10s have no steering lines. Bodies drift beneath silk where wind and chance decides. An easy trajectory to follow with the front sight post of a rifle the only defense is speed so paratroopers fall like flower pots knocked from ledges they rush to greet soil's fist at 22 feet per second the impact enough to snap straight legs like fired clay at the last second jumpers curl bodies like runners on rocking chairs spread the kiss of earth from foot to shoulder slink into tall grass
0: yeah, and that was aerodynamics from uh, one of the earlier books which book did you say that was from bill
3: that was from half a man half a
0: man okay yeah and we have the the cover of half a man over here but but yeah um so you talked about how um you know being in the military changes you um can you talk a little bit about that about how um you know what that process was like, and looking back at yourself, it feels like you kind of get a, a sense of just the way we're different people over time, um, going through experiences like that. Can you ex- explain what that was like?
3: Yeah, well, uh, when when you're in the military, uh, especially when you're in a combat unit, every action you do matters. Uh, you know, if you know if you don't. If you aren't carrying the proper equipment, someone else in your unit might suffer because of it. Even if something as simple as you didn't drink enough water, and so you get dehydrated, then someone else has to pick up your slack and the unit can suffer. Uh, here in the civilian world, you know, it, it doesn't matter what time I wake up, it doesn't matter if, if if I'm feeling dehydrated, I can just stop at Seven Eleven and get a Gatorade. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, there's always choices and options. So uh, the the hardship of the experience really, uh, you know, it, it brings soldiers together and, you know, it, it, it keeps you tight with them for the rest of your life. And then. When you get out and you encounter other veterans, even from other services, there's still that that close bond with them because, you know, there's the shared experience knowing what you went through because they know what they went through. Uh, and then coming home, uh, a lot of people sometimes find problems uh, in in regaining that sense of that sense of purpose uh, the importance of what they do. Um, and, you know, so that can, that can be difficult in transitioning. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, so another thing that you, I didn't realize about you that that you have a degree in civil engineering, um, which is always interesting too. (laughs) So you have such a, just a diverse background compared to most poets. Uh, Do you think that what you learned as a civil engineer, um, has any effect on the way you go about approaching a poem? Like, do you think about it in terms of that kind of construction more than other poets might, do you think?
3: Uh, much thought, but, I, but the thing that uh, being trained as an engineer does is it teaches you a, a way to think about things, to problem solve. And I think that does uh, come into my poetry. Uh, I, I will say that I graduated with a degree in civil engineering from Virginia Tech, but then I became a paratrooper immediately after. So the only uh, civil engineering I did was digging foxholes. <laughs> uh, and, and then after I got out, I was in factories uh, for a while before becoming a writer. That's
0: what I was thinking exactly. Was that, um, that 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 engineering has so much sort of an iterative mindset, like you, you you perfect things over time and tinker with the efficiency, and and you know, and and that has a lot to do with the way poems are constructed. At the same time, um, so so it's interesting to hear you know you come from that have that training, even if you didn't um, use it for more than foxholes, um, you still <laughs> you know come from that background and, and sort of maybe think that way. Um, and, and so it's really interesting to see uh, that come out in a poem like phase of erasure that we were talking about before where um, you know you could see it sort of be constructed piece by piece over different iterations through time
3: right right and uh, and and I have found also when I'm when I'm doing the revisions that poems can take on new lives of their own uh, one thing I one thing that's really important to me is the lyricism of a poem uh it it matters not only what you are saying but how you say it uh i think there is a, a music in poetry that is uh, as important as the lyrics that you use and um you know, so one of the things I do when I'm editing, I, I will I will take a a poem that I've created, and when I go out on my morning walks, uh, let's say I'm going on a four or five mile walk, I'll I'll turn this poem over and over in my head, and uh, I'll say it aloud, uh, you know, looking like a crazy person, <laughs> and uh, as as I, as I go along, you know, there'll be pieces of it that are a little jarring or not smooth. It it doesn't transition properly and I'll just keep working it and working it. And as, and as I walk, it it will smooth itself out. And then when I get back, I I will make those changes to the poem. And, uh, that has helped me a lot. I, I, I think. Yeah.
0: Um, do you want to talk about your that that walk because you have the virginia walkabout book where the whole book is um poems sort of composed in that way and and i think it said you you wrote you walked like 1500 miles or something while (laughs) writing the book
3: yeah so so i've lived in virginia for over 40 years and as much as i love about the state there's so much hidden history i didn't know and so i wanted to get to know my state firsthand And I decided to undertake this crazy odyssey of doing a 1,500-mile walk around Virginia. And I explored every region. I crossed every border. And along the way, I learned as much about myself as I did the state. And I wrote poems about these experiences. And they went in my book, uh, Virginia Walkabout. Um, And I I, I do have uh, one poem to share from that book uh, here Um, uh, so sometimes uh, tiny pieces from your life blend together with world events to create the magic of a poem Uh, the region I live in is called Hampton Roads and the greater metropolitan area there includes army navy and air force bases Uh, Well, I hiked through one of those bases, Fort Monroe, with an army buddy of mine who was preparing to deploy to Afghanistan for his seventh hardship tour. Uh, Recent news reports at that time had stated 22 veterans were committing suicide every day. So I feared for my friend both during the upcoming deployment and then after his return. Well, while we were hiking... Uh, through Fort Monroe, we came across a hidden pet cemetery. And there was another friend of mine who had recently put down a beloved who had cancer. So all of those pieces from my life and world events and the environment all went into uh, the following poem, which is called Among the Crenelations. like wolves in packs of four and five they lope along the avenue these muscled men in gray shorts and tees hair shorn to bristles or else they run in columned blocks invading half the street with cadence song that claps their stroking legs like metronomes every word audacious every gliding movement grinning It is easy to believe these gods we've chiseled from granite principles will live forever. Along Fort Monroe's parapets they race into an autumn wind, sun glinting off the james, dew surrendering in misty streamers to the coming day. Supersonic shrieks of raptors score the sky, Contrails spelling out in white on blue, the countless ways a body rips apart. No mystery in blood and bone. These boys know all too well the rust-barbed price of wisdom. Mindless motion propels them past red-brick Federals of General's Row, where patriotic bunting flaps on Doric columns. Arms and legs piston in lubricating sweat over the moat, through the tunnel, up a grass-scuffed berm where iron skeletons of gun emplacements lay bare behind a limestone wall. And there, among the crenellations, in a manicured swath of green, they stretch beside the flush stone slabs of a pet cemetery reading epitaphs each soldier pictures loyal dogs on clinic tables whispered promises that sleep must be better than this fingers twined in fur as everything rigid falls slack
0: and that was among the crenellations from virginia walk about the the second to last book that a uh, Bill Gloss has published. Um I, I'm curious about that just what your experience was like. Um did you do that all at once those 15,000 miles and 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 how did you stay and 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 the, the people you met along the way? Um what, what was that like? And over how much of time were you doing that?
3: Uh well so this this was in 2010 and 2011 mm-hmm. uh while I was in the mountains that Snowmageddon <laughs> occurred, oh. <laughs> and, and and that put a halt to the walk. So I picked it up in uh, spring of the following year, uh, and I I did it uh, piecemeal. Uh, so if you picture links in a chain, I would I would walk one link, and then the next time I would go back out and pick up where uh, where I'd left off on the other link, mm-hmm. and and stitch them all together um I, uh, a, a good friend of mine don west walked 500 miles with me uh at, at different points and then another 500 miles i i walked with a variety of other people uh some that i met along the way some uh friends that just wanted to come out and and join in this great adventure and then uh another 500 miles i i walked by myself um but uh you know the guiding principle of it in in addition to wanting to learn about the state and and the people in it uh, i told myself any adventure anything interesting that i came across i needed to participate in so so along the way i i flew in a world war ii aircraft i uh, visited a buffalo farm I jumped from a cliff into a water-filled quarry, and I visited a nudist colony. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 lots of interesting adventures.
0: Yeah, yeah, I bet. And uh, and another thing that that you do, you're a journalist, and and you wrote, you know, many many articles for for places like Virginia Living um, about a wide range of topics about about science and interviewing people. I think I saw a picture of you on your website with Buzz Aldrin. Um, right, <laughs> and and so. So how does it compare? Um, d- does writing for that context, for an audience in prose, does that affect your poetry? Um, do you think in the same kind of ways or is it a totally separate um, aspect of writing? Uh,
3: I. I th- there are different aspects of writing that come into it, whether I'm writing uh, fiction, uh, nonfiction articles or poetry. Uh, I mentioned before how the thing I, I loved about poetry most is the way I can uh, investigate something, just explore the nature of something without really getting an answer. Just asking the questions in poetry is often enough. Hmm. That's not not quite the case when you're writing an article. <laughs> when you're writing an article, you need to have an answer. Uh, however, the the discipline's you use to write in each of these genres I think has helped me in, in each of them my my poetry has helped my fiction my fiction has helped my nonfiction. my nonfiction has helped my poetry you know it, it's just a, a great synergy between them mm-hmm.
0: um, well I should say if anybody has any questions for Bill please leave them in the chat windows I will pass them along um, either on Facebook or YouTube uh, but let's hear another poem Bill
3: OK, um, so, you know, a lot of what uh, what I write about, you know, uh, in Half a Man, I wrote about my various experiences and in Postscript to War, I expand and write about the continuing wars and other soldiers experiences and. Uh, When I came home from Iraq, so many people wanted to know what it was like to be shot at, what it was like to shoot someone else. Uh, Teenage boys were especially fascinated. They thought war was glorious, like, I don't know, like an immersive video game. So this poem is for them, and it's called Get Some. They chant it, these zombies thumbing controllers, mesmerized by crosshairs on screens, eruptions of arterial red. Get some, get some. Cave dwellers wearing headsets, their avatars run, point, shoot at friends whose faces they've never seen. Get some, get some. Sunshine is no lure No excitement in swatches of green grass. No wonder in the sky. They want to know what it's like to watch a head explode for real. Can't wait until they're 18, worried they'll miss their chance to get some. I want to roll a boulder into their river, change its course. I want to press weight of history upon them, but their minds are already flat. They howl at videos of skateboarders face-planting, grinding tracts of skin on pavement. Whoa, dude, he got him some. These boys wear innocence like a dirty diaper. If only I could shield their eyes before jigsaw of someone they once knew burns into retinas before charred flesh fills noses and eardrums reverberate with cries for help yowls for mama I want to pound into their chests the pain of yesterday so they'll be careful tomorrow if they knew how soft a body really was would that lessen their love of steel If they knew how easily limbs could be shorn like wisps of their barely visible beards, would they caress their arms and legs to savor the memory? Or would they still want to get some? Imagine, I want to say, a nail piercing your foot slowly, rusted barbs ripping raw edges of flesh, Now, multiply that by a hundred, by a thousand. But these kids are not good at math. They will live forever. They will get some. Taste it for themselves. Taste it. Smell it. Chew it. Swallow it. Become what they've dreamed of since weaning off cartoons. Get some. Get some. Get some. The mantra spews and only one thing will salve this slash of longing. One cure. One blade that promises exactly what they want. The guillotine beckons, and up the steps they climb, chanting with every footfall, get some, get some. To look inside its bucket, they must expose tender necks. Even this won't stop them, nothing will, not until they get some, get some, until they get some.
0: It was a powerful poem, Get Some, from Bill's um, earlier book from 2010 or so. Um, what year was that, Bill?
3: Uh, I think, I think yeah, I think you're Something right. It's like either 10, 10 or 12.
0: Yeah, that was from Half a Man. So anybody who wants that book, too, both Postscript to War and Half a Man, kind of speak to each other, I would say. Uh, one, one of the things I was wondering about is if you feel like Um, And I hadn't read these poems, actually. I read the book, the the newer book. Um, Do you think that you, do do you work actively to try to dissuade people from joining the military?
3: Uh, Not to dissuade them. I think there are some great things about uh, about the military and about the experience and about the camaraderie. Mm -hmm. But I want people to understand what they're getting into, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I think, the 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 movie saving private ryan anyone who wants to get into the military should watch the opening 20 minutes of that mm-hmm. there is nothing there's nothing glorious or glamorous about war it it is you know a horror and you know people playing their video games at home and think oh i want to you know go and shoot others well they're going to be shooting at you too and you know so i i just want people to have a full understanding of what they're getting into, you know, if they're, uh, you know, make, make sure that they're aware.
0: Yeah. I mean, and there's just so much propaganda in the other direction too, to try to convince people that it is, um, you know, fun and, and have this like video game mentality and the, you know, dual say et decorum est and all that kind of thing too. So, so having a more va- balanced view is something you're starting to push against a lot of, um, a lot of messaging right
3: right right and uh you know I, I, as i as i said just you know the, the the gleam and glamour that so many people uh view it with is just not not true mm-hmm. um now all of my military experiences you know were, were not war uh you know i i went to panama uh for a while i uh, you know, the, the, the parachuting was an incredible experience. And I, and I did do some skydiving on my own Mm -hmm. afterwards. Um, you know, just the, you know, the experiences of going to foreign countries and getting to see the culture, um, of, of being stitched into this huge fabric of other military members. You know, there, there's a lot that you do get out of it as well um, I think uh, uh, one of the poems I, I sent you a video link for uh, mouth of sand um, that one uh, you know talks about the experiences of being in the desert you know it has you know nothing to do uh, with war per se but you know it, it does show um, you know what what it's like being somewhere that is uh, so foreign to most of our experiences here in America.
0: Yeah. um, Well, there's no questions right now, but there's a lot of people saying, talking about how powerful, especially that last poem, Get Some, was. Uh, Lisa Allison says, "Um, incredibly powerful. That's the first poem that has brought me to tears, nausea, and awe at its beauty at the same time. Sheer brilliance and beautifully read. And um, Olga um, Kleckner, what a powerful and stunning poem, she says. And I could totally agree. I mean, that, your, your performance of that was just one of the one of the most powerful things. Patricia Casey here says, powerful, Bill. I love the emotion you portrayed in your reading. So I just thought I'd pass that along to you because you can't see the audience. Um, yeah, and, thank you. And, and um, so let's uh, play this. Uh, let's play this video. You're not gonna be able to hear it. So you just have to wait until like, sorry, come back. You're just gonna have like a uh, minute or two uh, of silence. Um, okay, no problem. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna mute you and I'll play this video. And then we'll talk about, um, what you're doing with video on YouTube. So you have two YouTube channels, I believe that you run. So we'll talk about that. And, uh, but let's see, this is a mouth of sand and I'll put it up on the screen here. This is, um, from Bill Gloss's channel. Um, or this is from Virginia Poetry Online.
3: Right, and, which I run, but I'll talk about that after. Yeah,
0: so let's, uh, let, let's hear this, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll come back in a second, Bill. Okay, so here, here's this poem, uh, Mouth of Sand.
3: Mouth of Sand by Bill Gloss. Outside our tents, wind whipped brown, lances every sliver of exposed skin. Canvas walls billow like gasping lungs as we spit gouts of sand-flecked phlegm and listen to a low-pitched keening like the moaning of a bassoon. Truth is like the scouring grit of wind, precious lies stripped away leave one naked as a newborn calf. Sand inside our goggles, our gloves, our underwear, the interior mechanisms of our guns, bolts cracked open to reveal powder as fine as regolith scooped from the moon, a surface without atmosphere, without sound every granule loves to tell the story of how it once belonged to a mountain before the pulverizing sledge of time before the yowl of wind eroded every falsehood to which it clung
0: and that was mouth of sand from uh, bill's book postscript to war um, and really another powerful um, a video you put together there, Bill. Uh, can you talk about like, what are you trying to do um, on, on these two YouTube channels? You have a, um, I, I believe you have your own YouTube channel, right? And then you also have the Virginia. Um... Yeah.
3: Virgin, Virginia Poetry Online. Uh, so the, I mean, the Bill Glow's channel, that's just, you know, personal videos and thing, you know, uh, things you share with family and whatnot. But, you know, the uh, professional channel, that's uh, Virginia Poetry Online. I am a member of the Poetry Society of Virginia. And as, uh, you know, so I I go around the state to attend poetry readings and I bring my video camera with me and I I film, uh, you know, different readings. Uh, The original purpose behind this was so that people could see, Uh, the poetry that's going on throughout the state, you know, you can't, you know, an individual can't go everywhere. But then also, if you're going to an area, and you want to know what types of poetry events are in that area, my hope was for this channel to, to show them, uh, here are events in Northern Virginia, here are events in Norfolk, and they can, view some of the videos and say oh i like this or oh i don't like that i'll try somewhere else you know uh to to give people an idea uh before they they go uh along with that i i've created a number of uh poetry movies um you know there's this one mouth of sand but then there are others where <laughs> Uh, just like blocking a, a regular movie or short video, uh, I've had, you know, people narrate the poems and then act them out. And uh, we've gone to the Chrysler Museum. We've gone into gardens. We've, you know, all, all kinds of interesting things. And it's, it's just been a, a fun uh, process
0: yeah it's always interesting to see um poets that do use youtube because it's a uh, it's it's such an opportunity to share poetry um in in the spoken word which is the way that that's sort of meant to be you know it's an, it's an oral audio musical type genre really even though we read it on the page and um mm-hmm. how do you go about like like when you choose um what to show like how how do you think about what images to show and when, when you're doing a, a, a poem like that. Um, do you, do you think it's best to uh, display like what's going on at the time? Or I always worry about the distraction, I guess of, um of the, the interplay. Cause I like to get lost in a poem, you know? And, and so I wonder about how video poems work. I've never got to fi- figure out how to do it best. So how do you think about it?
3: Okay. Okay. Uh... So, I, I'll, I'll get to how I think about it in a second. But first, I want to you, know, you, you said that uh, you want to get lost in, in a poem. You have a, a good mind for poetry and can get lost in it. There, there are you know, some people that you know, have difficulty with poetry. A lot of people express that. And this making a poetry movie serves as a bridge uh, to uh, those people as well. Uh, one, one of the poetry movies that I, I made, um, of uh, that, that took place in a garden, uh, the woman who did the the poem said she showed the video to her husband who had heard that poem and others she'd read. And, and he said, ah, I finally get it. (laughs) And, uh, so, so I, I think it, it can be helpful. I, um, uh, what what I do is I look at the at the poem itself, and then using my engineering mentality, I try to break it into segments and and ask you know what is uh, what is going on, and then just try to uh, visualize it like I, I would a movie. Uh, there are some poems that don't lend themselves. Uh, to this type of artistic expression. But those that do, it, it makes a, a beautiful marriage uh, when, when you can combine them and uh, instead of taking away from the poem, it, it just enhances it and it strengthens it. Uh, I, I think when you watch a poetry movie, uh, the, the poem can stay with you longer in some cases.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think you might be right about that. Um, Yeah. So it was fascinating to see this. And uh, so if anybody wants to subscribe, go just type in Virginia Poetry Online in a YouTube search bar and then click the subscribe button there. Um, Or uh, Bill Gloss, you can subscribe to his channel as well. Um, Let's hear another poem, Bill.
3: Okay. Uh, So this one uh, also comes from Half a Man. And uh, it opens with an epigraph by the Greek philosopher Democritus. Um, And, you know, I I think it's all pretty self-explanatory. This is called Particles. Nothing exists except atoms and empty space. Democritus. All smells are particulate. Think about that as you march past burned trucks upon melted seats are forms blackened and shriveled like banana peels left in the sun stench wafts through your nose tickles cilia lies down to sleep in your olfactory bulb a decaying piece of someone else a spot of liver a morsel of tongue Only comfort is this. No one ever dies. They simply change form. Atoms that a day before were my enemy, now my friend. They wanted so much to escape. I breathe deeply. Think, be with me. And that was
0: Particles. Particles. Um, from Half a Man again, the earlier book by Bill. Um, so, Bill, what are your? Um, you, you also write short stories too, um, and you have a short story collection coming, or is it? A, is it a novel? It's a short story collection, I think.
3: It, right. It, yeah, it is a short story collection. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it it could be viewed as a novel because uh, all the stories taken together tell one uh, complete story and and the characters intertwined in the different stories Uh, it's called all the ruined men and it comes out in august by saint martin's press and uh, you know I, i i mentioned before how my uh friend was getting ready to deploy for his uh seventh hardship tour and we just kept As the wars dragged on, we just kept sending the same people over and Mm. over and over. Um, You know, I was when I was in the Gulf War, I was in the Middle East for seven months. And then I came home and I did not deploy to combat again. Uh, You know, these these kids are just, you know, getting battered by it. And so I wanted to explore the effects on the soldiers and especially what it was like to try to transition back to the civilian world afterwards. And to, to do this fully, I wanted to uh, expand beyond, beyond the bounds of poems. And I wanted to show an entire squad of soldiers and uh, and show them going out uh, into the civilian world and all the difficulties they they had, and so that's what takes place in all the ruined men.
0: Yeah, um, and and so how do you think of um, like when you go about to write a poem? Um, do you have any any sort of philosophy about what a poem should do? That's one of the things I always wonder about. Like, do you do you think about? engaging it in a certain way? And then do you have like a goal as you write the poem or is it just exploring uh, something you're wondering about?
3: Uh, well, there are a variety of ways I approach a, a poem. Sometimes it will just be an image that captures me and I will take that image not knowing where it's going to take me and, and just follow it. And so those can be you know, very fun, revelatory poems, and, and I seldom know where they're going to end up. Uh, other times, there, there will be uh, something going on in the world that, you know, that shocks me, and I have a message I want to say about it, but I, I don't want to just come right out and say that message, and so I will um, uh, work around the periphery of it and try to, uh, explore all those things and see where they will lead me. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, uh, poetry has the power to, uh, engage the reader in their own thoughts. Hmm. You know, poetry is, um, it's like a conversation between the writer and the reader and where the reader takes your poem might not be where you intended but that's part of the engagement so every person who reads it might come away thinking something different and
0: yeah kind of along those lines maybe um there's a question from cindy gore she asks um, have you had certain images from your experience that haunt you until you finally write about them uh, which is something i wanted to talk about too because you know we talk a lot about how poetry is a great avenue for healing because you can sort of make sense of things that your you know one part of your brain understands but the other doesn't or or however the complicated ways that works and, and so it seems like writing poetry is such a great thing for veterans to do in particular probably to get through those traumatic experiences uh, do you have that experience where where something haunts you until you finally find the words for it
3: Uh, yeah, so there, there were a a lot of things, uh, that I saw, uh, half a man opens up with the image of a, of a body torn in half. And that was something that, that stuck around with, with me for a long time, uh, after, uh, after the war and other images. And then, uh, even long after when, when I thought, you know, I, I, gotten over everything still occasionally uh it, some images will come back there's there's a poem i wrote in postscript war called revenant where i talk about a near miss with uh with another car and uh when that happened the the driver of that car had had an epileptic fit and was seizing and crashed his car he nearly hit you know took off the nose of my car i was just parked at a a stoplight and uh, then he hit a tree and the the, uh, car turned over and I ran over there to help him and uh, it wasn't until afterwards after the EMTs came and I I went on my way that I started shaking afterwards and I started seeing some images from the war coming uh, back to me then that I hadn't thought of in years. Uh, so, yeah, there are some images that are just burned in there and uh, keep coming back. Um, re- regarding the nature of, uh, uh, you know, it being cathartic, there there have been a lot of uh, people who have, you know, asked me, you know, their, their sons or daughters or fathers or mothers or, or whoever has been to war, and they're wondering if reading these types of poems or trying to write them themselves. If, if that would be, uh, possibly hurtful, Mm uh, for them, you know, a lot of people worry about that. They try to avoid any talk or thought about what went on. And all I can say to that is I, I cannot think of a trauma or a problem that ever got better by ignoring it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you know, the first time I explored some of these uh, uh, events and traumas, uh, yeah, they were painful. But each time it was like a scab, you know, growing up, it got less and less painful uh, over time. And, you know, by exploring them through poetry, it's helped me deal with everything a lot better. And I, and I think that's a it's a, a great thing for any veteran or Anyone who has experienced any trauma to
0: do, yeah, that's the thing that uh, that James Pennebaker discovered in his um, work on expressive writing. He, originally, um, it was sexual trauma that seemed to have the biggest um, impact on people, as far as stress and, and negative consequences throughout their lives. It was early, early sexual trauma, and it, he, you know, thought maybe at first that it was something to do with the sexual nature of it, but it turned out that that's just something that we don't talk about. And so the fact that we don't talk about it keeps it hidden in there. And, and that's where all the sort of gnawing and, and sort of negative consequences come from is the, the hidden nature of, of certain things that we don't talk about. Because if we don't talk about it, we can't make sense of them. And then we never have this sort of synthesized experience of the world or something, which is, according to his research, is what uh, what the healing power of writing actually is. is just making those things that were that were silent um, unsilent. And uh, yeah.
3: Right. And and when you do that, you essentially have two options. You can write about it or you can try to ignore it. You can either own your history or let your history own you. And if you take that that second path, uh, it can, you know, lead you to lots of uh, uh, traumatic. It can just make the traumatic the trauma fester and get worse.
0: Mm hmm. Um, well, um, we probably have time for maybe two more poems, Bill. Do you want to—I don't know if you want to read that Revenant poem and something else, or—I um, don't know. How you want to finish uh, out?
3: Yeah, sure. Well, since we just talked about Revenant, uh, I'll—let's see. I'll bring that one up. So
0: it's, it's on 53 if you're looking for it.
3: Yep, I have it. Uh, so, Revenant. Like a flying ram, a turquoise SUV jumps the median to hurdle past my bumper— Intervening space, thin as blood-soaked gauze. Prying loose that plug of worm-lined earth from where I'd tamped it down. Time freezes, as it had in Iraq, when an eight-foot mortar round whistled my way. Meter by meter, passing in nanoseconds, before a dune deflected the missile from my life. As then, adrenaline crackles through veins like electric current, and when I run up to the vehicle, now flipped on its nose with a driver shaking in powdered mist of airbag residue like an apparition, the graveled bellow of my platoon sergeant echoes in my head, Don't think, soldier, act. And so I pull him out, this epileptic man who sees behind the wheel, and turn him on his side, forcing his airway open, cradling his head like a newborn child. After the ambulance wheels away, ghosts rise from their plot to follow the red trail of my taillights. Former targets of now-faded fury, they slink into my bedroom, Faces caked with sand, eyes fixed on mine, mouths agape, as if they too are gagging.
0: And that was another poem from Postscript to War that was Revenant uh, from Bill Gloss's most recent book. And uh, Bill, this, you know, in addition to you know, the, the the sort of rhythmic power that your poems have, which really stands out there. There's just such an honesty and an authenticity to it too. Like you're writing about real things in such an honest way. And I really feel like that's what resonates with people the most. So um, I don't know. Do you ever, uh, do, do you ever, how do you, how do you um, think about moving things into poems that aren't necessarily factually true? That's one of the things I wonder Do you. Do you feel like, like your poems feel so honest and, and completely true? Um, do you ever mix things in that are true in a different way that might not be factual? Do you care about that? You know, as a journalist, a, a reporter too, I wonder about that, about, <laughs> about, about how, how accurate you think all the facts have to be.
3: Yeah. Uh, for, you know, for the most part, when I'm, when I'm writing about uh, me, I try to, you know, stay as factual as possible. Um, you know, I, I might elude, uh, to things happening in the third person. Uh, you know, I, I have plenty of uh, poems in Postscript to War where I use the uh, third person in it, and I say you or something like that, and, and those tend to be invented where I, I am taking a situation uh, that is true, a type of thing that is true, but I'm creating a scene that I have imagined, and And I think as long as you stay uh true to the uh ethos of it that 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 is fine
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah well well put. Um, Do you want to close out with one last poem? And I I was hoping um, one of my favorite poems in the book is that the reverse poem. um,
3: Oh, okay.
0: in reverse. Do you want to finish out with that and just explain how this came to be? This is such an, you know, Uh I've seen reverse poems before, but this one's so intricate in the way that it, I don't know. It seems like it'd be impossible to write. <laughs> so, I mean, some people, you know, if you have a, if you have a reverse poem where the lines don't have a lot of enchantment and, and are sort of saying th- the same thing in either way, it's not hard to do, but this like completely reverses it. And the syntax is all different too. So, so before we even read it, can you talk a little bit about how, um, how, it, how you came to write it? And then, uh, and then we'll read it to close out the show.
3: Right. Well, I, I had the idea for this uh, reversible war poem, for quite a while, I, I've mentioned how I revise and revise, and a, a poem can live with me for you know many months before I finally feel it's free to go out into the world. This one took several years. Uh, you know, there were pieces of it that I would construct going in one direction and I couldn't figure out how to make something go in the other direction. The, the concept I had in my mind was uh, to explain to the reader that, uh, who, who is unfamiliar with military members, with soldiers, who, who tends to think everyone is a carbon copy of the other, that every soldier, every Marine, every sailor, Every uh, airman is uh, an individual and and each person can can be different. And so I wanted to show two completely different views of soldiers looking at war, one as a warmonger and one as a pacifist. And uh, and in doing that through the um, uh, through the poem, you know, it's hard. Uh, to get it to work so it, it fits completely uh, one, you know, one type of person. And then when you read it in reverse, it fits the other. And so that's why it, it took so incredibly long. I'd, I'd tinker on it, I'd come and I'd put it away. I'd come back to it, I'd put it away. And, and as I said, it, it took you know, a, a few years before I finally got this to the form where I felt it was ready.
0: Yeah, I I'm I'm not surprised to hear you say that cuz it feels like that when you read the poem uh, that it, that it would take so much so much work just to get it this right. And and even though it's pretty short, it's still uh, a, a, quite the endeavor to get it to work this way.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, so so the poem itself it turns on uh the line I begin here I, I belong here at home. That's the final line of the first half and the first line of the second half. Uh, I do have a video of this on my, on the Virginia Poetry Online channel where you can see the text. But uh, uh, this one, uh, okay, so here goes. War in Reverse. Anything can be destroyed. I can be the one who pulls the trigger. My dream of being death is all that matters. I want no more of love. Thinking of the carnage I might incur, I'm fearful of a long and lasting peace. My greatest desire is war. That's why I hate civilized society. My place is in the ruinous din of battle. I have seen all I want of other people. I'm only good for killing And will never think that I belong here at home. I belong here at home, and will never think that I'm only good for killing other people. I have seen all I want of the ruinous din of battle. My place is in civilized society. I hate war. That's why my greatest desire is of a long and lasting peace. Fearful of the carnage I might incur, I'm thinking love is all that matters. I want no more of death. My dream of being the one who pulls the trigger can be destroyed. I can be anything.
0: Yeah, that was war in reverse and that I can be anything becomes uh, anything can be destroyed at the first line. Um, just such an, such an interesting poem. Uh, Bill Glose, thanks so much for being a guest today. It was just a pleasure talking to you and these poems are so powerful and well, well-written and and so important, meaningful too. So thanks, thanks for being a guest and sharing all of this with us.
3: Oh, it was, it was my pleasure. And thank you for everything you do with Rattle and uh, not just the Rattle cast, but, but everything else, the, uh, uh, the ekphrastic challenge the the uh the weekly poem uh and uh all the contests and everything else this is really an oasis out there uh, among the uh uh the world of mfa poetry
0: <laughs> well well, yeah, thanks so. it's so nice to hear you say that because that's exactly what we're trying to do uh bill uh yeah well thanks for for being a guest and, and i'll have to talk to you soon okay have Bye. a good one. Bye. And once again, that was Bill gloss and um I f- I forgot to put it on the screen. But here is a photo of Bill. This is the cover of Half a Man, and this is um Bill Innirock, um the, from his book Half a Man. That's him on the cover from from nineteen you know, early nineties. Um his book Half a Man from um uh, one of the presses. And then his most recent book here again is Postscript to War, which you can find from Main Street Rag dot uh, BillGloss.com is his website if you want to find all of this and, and much other work. He's he's sort of a prolific writer in that he writes all sorts of things in addition to poetry and um and does a lot with poetry too. So check out that that out. Um his other books, um Um Virginia Walkabout and all of the great stuff at BillGloss.com and make sure you subscribe to his uh YouTube channels as well. So um yeah, thanks everybody for uh for the show today. It's been a lot of fun. We're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna to get to the open lines. Before we do, I'm gonna let you know how it works. Um, so email your poem if you'd like to share one to open mic, that's open mic at rattle.com. And, uh, and then after you've done that, so I can show it on the screen like I was showing Bill's poems earlier, um, and then choose one or the other. If you'd like to be on video, send me a chat message at Skype to rattle poetry, all one word. If you'd like to call in by phone, the number is 818-850-7727. That's 818-850-7727. Let it ring a few times and hang up, and I will call you back when it's your turn. Um, within about an hour is, is how long about the show is going to go. So uh, I'm going to take a quick break, stretch, get all this stuff ready, and I will be right back. Back. Thanks for your patience. Let me stand up and stretch a little bit. It's, uh, we'll talk about it later in a little bit, maybe, but it's nice to stand up and stretch if you're sitting at a desk for that long. Hope everybody out there is stretching and getting a little, little stretch in there, too. So, the prompt for this week was to I'll put it on screen here. Oops, one. There you go. Uh, make the title of your poem a question and the body of your poem the answer, or the other way around. And that was the prompt for this week. Um, I didn't write a prompt for poem for this week because I was late on last week's poem, but here's Megan's prompt poem um, based on this prompt. If they can control our bodies and our minds, will anything be left? And once again, this is Megan's prompt poem where the uh, title is a question and the poem answers that question. If they can control our bodies and our minds, will anything be left? The mist drifts lazy from the waterfall, like a child wandering away at the mall. It is not the cascade, nor the pool below, not the waters wild west, or the devil we know. There are drops on my tongue, white wine, never meant for me, and yet mine. And that is Megan's prompt poem, If They Can Control Our Bodies and Our Minds, Will Anything Be Left. And now, last week, um, I didn't finish my poem in time. Um but it's sort of a the the prompt was to write an echo verse poem and also in the news last week Sirhan Sirhan was um up for parole and um his parole was granted and then the governor of California Gavin Newsom denied that parole which uh um it it always kind of breaks my heart i feel like like Sirhan is a tragic figure actually um i don't think he's guilty and um if you if you read back through um, you know the the documents of Project Artichoke and Project Bluebird, and um, you know the the th- theory that he was hypnotized. Um, um, it has it's as it as weird as it seems? It's uh, has a lot more credibility than you would think. And I just, if you think about his history, um, and I sort of went on a deep dive while researching him uh, for this poem, and he, you know he grew up, he was born in Jerusalem, then. Um, had kind of fled with his family to Jordan. His older brother was run over by a tank. Then they, then his family seeked political asylum here in the United States. Um, and then his, you know, he was growing up, his sister, his older sister died of leukemia. And he loved horses and worked at the Santa Anita racetrack and uh, wanted to be a jockey and someone offered him a job as a jockey. He fell off a horse, hit his head, went to the hospital And, uh, was checked in the hospital for four hours and disappeared for two weeks. And when he returned, he came back a changed person, as all his family said, and filling these notebooks with strange things. And, uh, so this is my poem. It kind of, it's almost a meta poem, um, in the, in the way that, uh, Seth Abramson says, where a lot of the lines here are from his actual interviews, the few that you can find in his therapy, his hypnosis sessions that he did with, uh. Daniel Brown at uh, at Harvard University, worked with him a lot as a psychologist. Anyway, this is a Sirhan Sirhan under hypnosis, if this all makes sense. I don't even know if it does, but uh, we'll see. Here's Sirhan Sirhan under hypnosis with lines from his notebook. Counting backwards from 10, again, 9. I remember being there, there in the kitchen, an urn full of coffee, "'awfully hard to see through the fog of eight. "'Wait, there was a girl. "'Beautiful, sir, her hair black as a mare's mane, "'a flame burning over this gorgeous dress. "'Yes, follow me,' she said, "'and I'm a puppy, a guppy, a jockey about to be thrown. "'Alone now, she hops on the counter like six sticks of dynamite, "'fired like a thirteenth shot, hot, very hot. "'I don't know what to say.' Play it cool, I think. But my artichoke heart starts to boil, and the bluebird's words are of smoke. Sir, I don't drink. Think, think, think was all I could think. Blink, and I'm pinned to the table, unable to move. The weight of the trigger finger, something beyond my control. My role I understood when they said dead. We don't need another ruby. You see, still, I'll never understand this hand with a mind of its own. I wrote, quote, RFK must die, RFK must die. Why? When the range master says, shoot, shoot. When the range master says, shoot, shoot. Please pay to the order, to the order. Please pay to the order of, 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 of. That is my Sirhan Sirhan Under Hypnosis poem. And you can see I... I Copy the, the, his actual note. This is a lot of the lines from the poem, or a few of the lines come from this page of his notebook, uh, which he wrote about a month before the assassination. Um, so anyway, that is my Sirhan Sirhan echo verse poem, and maybe I will write a poem answering a question for next week. Uh, I'm a little behind schedule, but uh, let's see what everybody else has to share. First, we will go to. Let's go to Bev wendell Anderson. We usually call her later in the show. Let's do it now. Hey, Bev, how are you doing today?
4: Great. How are you? I'm doing excellent. <laughs> I wasn't expecting an early call. <laughs> yeah, I
0: try to mix it. So I try to call the people that I call later, earlier sometimes, and so keep everybody is uh, is ready to go. Uh, so, what is it that you want to share today?
4: Well, <clears throat> with your question-answer poem form. Um, I was reading about um, how the IMF feels that the natural solution to climate change is whales, hmm. And I thought, Oh, that's, that's quite fascinating. And of course I'm quite skeptical about the IMF because of what they've done in various of the poor poorest world countries, mm-hmm. sort of um, in like an indentured servant to the West that they loan them money and then they have to pay it back. So, uh, I went into this whole thing quite skeptically and then realized that they have um, quite an interesting solution to climate change using whales. Yeah,
0: so, uh, so do you explain this in your poem? Because I, I have no idea. I can't even imagine how whales might solve climate change.
4: You- yeah, so whales are, um, because of how they, they search for food and go down deep into the ocean and travel the world's oceans, um, they get all kinds of nutrients hmm. that are not in one place and bring it to another place through their poop huh. and then that helps the phytoplankton to uh grow and the phytoplankton uh are very important in terms of producing oxygen and taking carbon dioxide out of the air yeah that so would, that would make sense. that's what yeah. the poem is about hmm. it's this um they call it the whale pump that the whale in its traverse um, picks up all this stuff and re it and um, helps climate change and of course during the industrial revolution and before that the last three centuries we killed three quarters or more of the earth's whales.
0: Oh yeah, that is so fascinating. So yeah, so with many more whales there would be much more um, much more plankton. Uh, That's really interesting, yeah. yeah. Hmm.
4: (laughs) (laughs) So I just say IMF in the poem because it's so long. It's the International Monetary Fund, which is part of the UN. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my question is, and title, Is the IMF's Nature Solution to Climate Change Possible? The IMF Report on CO2 Pollution... Supports whales as the natural as the natural solution. If we could help increase their population, it could change dire climate annihilation. Research shows wherever the great whales survive, phytoplankton, the ocean's food supply will survive, fertilized by the biomoths, prodigious poop plumes, rich in nitrogen and iron this algae blooms. From these tiny, mighty phytoplankton comes half of all the Earth's life-giving oxygen. They also sink as much carbon from the air as four towering Amazon rainforests could ensnare. Today, a third or fewer great cetaceans remain to circumnavigate their ocean-wide domain as whaling plundered right whales to the brink, decreasing blue whales to 3%, not quite yet extinct. With eco-value of $2 bucks for each leviathan, makes possible whale stocks might see some restoration, but only if mammoth fines for each one lost were set for poaching, ship strikes, and bycatch in trawling nets. So, to answer this existential question, the IMF should run with its nature suggestion and waste no time in implementation to reverse the harm to our global ecosystem.
0: Oh that was really cool. Thanks so much for sharing that. And I uh as I always talk tell my kids, I, I like to learn something every day and that's my thing to learn for today. So thanks for, for sharing that with us, Beth.
4: Thank you so much. Yep. Yeah, bye. Bye bye.
0: Yeah, that was Beth Wendell Atherstone with uh Is the IMS nature's solution to climate change possible? Now let's call up uh let's call up Caitlin Bucksbaum. She hasn't been on in a while, just sent us a poem. Hey Caitlin, how are you doing today?
5: Um, good. Can you hear me?
0: I can hear you.
5: So, uh, I have, I was out on a long vacation, so I wasn't, um, that's why I wasn't around. Um, so I didn't write a poem on the prompt, but I do have a poem, um, that is a question. So I thought, um, (laughs) I would read that and I got it published. I submitted it before I left and I, I think it was, it was published while we were gone, but um, on Warp 10, mm-hmm. and I heard about that from Zachary Honeycutt. Yeah, I was um, going to mention
0: that. Oh. That's his favorite journal, so it's cool to see that people, you know, spreading the joy.
5: Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't do a lot of sci-fi poems, but I thought I would check it. out. I was like, yeah, I've got this one poem. Maybe mm-hmm. they want it. And uh, I wrote the poem in 2020 um, after I watched The Mandalorian, <laughs> um, and uh, for I. I think a lot of people know about this, but maybe some people don't. Um, this term, deep fake has to do with um, using people's likenesses um, in movies, like after they die, and it's kind of oh, creepy yeah. how realistic mm-hmm. it is. Um, so that's what inspired this poem. And the only other thing I was going to say about it is that um, it's actually in the Dio form. I'm pretty sure it's Dio, not Dio. I always say that wrong um but jimmy pappas invented that um and so i always try to
0: tell Hmm. people is that two uh, syllables per line what's the what's the um another thing
5: is i don't know how it's displaying for you Mm -hmm. but um there's supposed to be a break after two lines so the spacing didn't show up quite right on the website i think Mm -hmm. um but so each stanza is two lines of three words So two words and then one word. Uh, And the one word is supposed to be like an important word, not like an article, like the or something. Um, So, yeah, if people want to know more about that, the rules for that, they can ask me later.
0: Interesting. Okay, well, go ahead and read it whenever you're, you're ready.
5: All right. Let me find it again. Okay, here we go. Deepfake for Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher. If the future we once imagined is here now in the form of old faces cast in new and false bodies for pure entertainment, what is left to be discovered? What is kept secret or private from lying eyes and greedy hands?
0: Ah, excellent. Deepfake. Uh, and the, the answer, or the poem in the form of the question. Perfect for the prompt, even though you didn't uh, know it was coming. Excellent. Yeah,
5: it, yeah. it doesn't necessarily have an answer.
0: <laughs> well, that's good stuff. And yeah, those deepfakes are, are frightening. I mean, I imagine just, you know, imagine if the president gets on TV and says something and it's not really the president, you know? I mean, that's kind of, a lot of a lot of bad things can happen from those deepfakes.
5: Yeah. I try not to think about them. <laughs>
0: Yeah, like but those... I wrote a
5: poem about it so. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly, like a Black Mirror episode or something Well, thanks for mm-hmm. sharing that, Caitlin And and again, we love Warp10, it's a really fun magazine So check that out, it's warp10lit.wordpress.com If anyone wants to, thanks, Caitlin Yep,
5: yeah, thank you Bye
0: Okay, so let's go next to uh... Let's call up Nimedita because it's late where she is We also have um, Jerry Stephenson, Lisa Allison No, not Lisa Allison. Uh Dick Westheimer we have uh see how Nivity is doing and, and let her go to bed. Hey Nivy how are you doing okay. today?
6: Hey them I'm doing great, thank you. How about you?
0: I'm doing great. It was uh, it was a great episode after we got through the technical issues. Um I Bill's just and such that, a wonderful poet.
6: That didn't detract from the episode in any way. I mean the the power, the intensity of his poems were were still resonating even during those glitches as you like to call it. The words were still reverberating inside so that in no way shape or form
0: detracted from the episode so it was all in all a great episode oh that's great to hear um so what do you what do you have that you want to share with us today uh,
7: the
0: usual the prompt poem and a new story poem um, let's see i have the visual verse link uh poem uh, right that's now. the prompt poem okay so let's uh, is this your your blog or is this published
6: It's published. Visual Verse is sort of an ekphrastic magazine, so Ah, they give you a picture every month, and I think you can see that on the screen if you go there, and you have to write based on that picture. They set a word limit and a time limit, and you just have to submit
0: if they like it. They publish it on that. What's the time limit like?
6: Um, It's every month they come up with a new poem, so Mm -hmm. almost every week they publish about 10 to 12 odd poems on uh-huh. that image. But they accept submissions only till the 15th of every month. So from the 1st to the 15th, you've got to submit. And then all through the month, they post pictures for that image.
0: Oh, this is very cool. And this is at visualverse.org. So similar to the mm-hmm. ecstatic challenge, another, another option like that. But you get to publish more. I, I like this. This is very cool. So for people um, just listening, oh, let me shrink the screen a little bit so you can fit... Um, so this is the, the photograph. It's, um, for the people just listening, it's a pig being brushed while talking on a cell phone. Um, so a very interesting uh, piece of art that they chose. And, um it's very and then... hard to describe some of the pictures. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very interesting. Um, let's see. So, uh, so let's hear the poem whenever you're ready, Nivy. Okay, great.
6: Is this what we have come to? Is this what we've come to? Fitting our thoughts into 240 characters, pouring out our emotions into this tiny screen. Is this what we've come to? Tweeting as we come squalling out a womb, updating our status as we lay it to rest in another? Like vultures over carrion, our gaze keeps circling back, back to this minuscule device that carries our everything, waiting for a flicker of a million texts zing back and forth and back and forth through the vast reaches of space. Yet, we're no closer than we were before. Yes, this is what we have come to, myopically peering into those tiny screens, trying to decipher text speak, the new Big Latin.
0: <laughs> That's great. I love that. Cool poem, uh, cool prompt, and cool website. I too, I like the layout of this place too. So everyone's mm-hmm. got to check it out. This is, uh, this is again, uh, versevirtual.org. VisualVerse. Uh, visualverse.org, dot org, I should say. Visualverse.org. dot org. Yeah, very cool. And uh, and then you have another poem for us too, I think, right? Uh huh. Okay, let me find that one. And this is uh, a poetry spawn poem.
6: Yeah.
0: Okay. And uh, and here's the the news story. I'll put that up on the screen as well. Uh, this. So is... the
6: story this time is not very funny. It was very hard to find funny stories, but then this. Uh, I tried to make the poem as funny as I could. So basically scientists found out that um, pandas despite being on the diet that they are of just eating bamboo shoots and leaves sort of seem to gain more weight when they eat bamboo shoots rather than leaves. Hmm. And for a long time they were trying to figure out why this happened and then they finally figured out that it's because based on whether they eat the shoot or the leaves, their gut bacteria, the gut microbiota changes. So basically putting pantas on a diet isn't really going to do anything. Cause it just going to
0: keep gaining weight no matter what they do? Oh, so that's interesting. And I wonder if that happens to us too, you know, like.
6: Uh, that That's exactly what, what I based my poem on. So sort of funnily, but anyway, that's that's exactly what I thought of too. I mean, so we keep saying diet and this and that, but is it really our gut bacteria that controls us as well? Mm-hmm. Because now we're coming to find out that the microbiota does indeed control almost every aspect of our life. So why not this? I mean,
0: yeah. And, we, and even those, see. you know, all those different, um, you know, bacteria and things that actually direct your behavior, like, um, like toxoplasmosis, mm-hmm. getting cats to get act or, or getting mice to yeah. act unafraid of cats so the cats can eat them. And uh, yeah. So, I mean, you might, if you get the munchies, it might be uh, just because your gut bacteria wants to eat some potato chips or something. That's uh, a, <laughs> Yeah, interesting. Okay, so I have it on screen. Go ahead whenever you're ready with this one.
6: A weighty issue. Panda's viewpoint. I started another new diet now and being forced to eat just so many few calories a day, but my weight keeps increasing. And how? Now I'm up to 220 pounds or so they say. Maybe it's my digestive system that's at fault or maybe it's the weather playing havoc with me. Either way, my weight gain has to halt, for if not, this tree will soon not be able to bear the weight of me. At last, they found out what's causing me to gain more weight. Despite being on the strictest of diets and eating, um, not so much, it's my gut bacteria that's the cause of this trait. Thank God! Now, I do not have to watch what I eat and such. Human, how unfair that pandas have it so easy. They can eat whatever they want and never have to care about gaining weight and feeling queasy. I wish I could be like them, and then life would be so easy, I swear. Wait, maybe someone will research on this and find out that I'm more like the pandas than I thought. They will find that my cut bacteria is causing my weight to go all out, so that any thoughts and actions of diet can be considered as rot.
0: <laughs> that is great. Yeah. So so two things I got to learn today. Yeah. Uh, thanks. I got one from Bev and one from you. Thanks, Nivi.
6: Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. And just before I go, I think probably the last uh, cast of the year, last year, mm-hmm. we had to write about a memory that was close to us for the year, and I chose poetry because I was working on a book, and I finally have the book in oh,
0: hand. Oh, wow. Congratulations. How a little higher thank is you. it? It's she... Excellent! Yeah, that's a beautiful cover birth. too. Yeah, I love that, Nivy. Congratulations! Where can people find it?
6: Um, it's available on Amazon. I can uh, send the link. I've posted it on Rattles Group. I can send the link here in the chat.
0: Excellent. Yeah, and please do. Caitlin, actually,
6: great thanks to Caitlin. She wrote the foreword to this book for me. Oh
0: wow, that is so wonderful! Our, I'm so I happy to hear that. that. So. <laughs> and and, and Nivy, what is your website? Because I was thinking there's a there's a blog you have that something sounds kind of like Visual Verse. What what was your blog? Just random with NK. <laughs> random with NK. Okay. Well, excellent. Well, thanks so much. Uh, and congratulations on that book. I love that cover. That's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. Congratulations. Have a, have a nice night, Nivy.
6: Thank you, Tim. It's lovely talking to you, too. And thanks for a great show and a great title, cast. Yeah, always, always.
0: always my pleasure. Thanks a lot.
6: Thank you. Have a great day.
0: You too. Bye. It was Nivi DeKarthik. And, and find the in the show notes, find the link to that. That is so cool. I'm Very happy to see that, um, and and that uh, and that Caitlin wrote the forward too. Thanks, thanks for that, Caitlin. I just love uh, love this little community we have here. I really appreciate you all. Let's see. Let's go to oh, we have a, oh another first time caller in Stephen Croft. Oh, hey Stephen, I hear myself in the background. So X out of your your window wherever you're watching this, and just talk through Skype. Okay. Okay, great. Well, yeah, thanks so much for joining me. I don't know if you want to come in on video too. If you do, click the camera button, but if not, that's fine.
8: Uh, we'll see what happens. Okay. Ah, well, it's not unclicking, so I'll just talk.
0: Okay, yeah, that's fine. We hear you loud and clear. So um, this is a Poetry Spawn poem, or, or a news-based poem. It's published on another great website we should mention, Newverse News, which is newversenews.blogspot.com. And it was just published on Thursday uh, the 20th. Do you want to explain what this poem was about?
8: Uh, yeah, um, and uh, I sent it to uh, to Rattle the Poets Respond a couple weeks ago, and um, and then got lucky with the New Verse News, which uh, the competition, there's competition there, but not as great, because they publish poems every day, yeah. so... Um, the in the I'd like to read the contributor note for uh for Poets Respond. I lived in Afghanistan for a year and am heartbroken by what is happening to its people. I pray we will have the compassion to turn back and look at them again now that the the United Nations has called for drastic international assistance. And uh The poem is called Women of Gore. In twilight, we stare into our deaths like we are the coming darkness. Our harrowed babies cry, but we dare not sing to them. The flower is gone in days. Even tea is scarce. Our colorful dresses, long hidden or already burned for warmth. A bird calls a melody from a snowy tree like joy trapped by the coming darkness. Warlords with stern faces walk the streets with whips, rifles, whip, march, a head-bent man with hands bound behind by thick layers of rope. They tell us we we have now what the hands of the people have earned. And there is nowhere else to go. Just a cold valley, hill passes, snowed for winter. If allowed to sing, we would moan a dirge. Now even the night bird is quiet. Nowhere is even a seed of relief. Markets, kiosks, shops, silent and empty. They say our sins haunt us now. Girls wanting work and education. In the cold schools, boys recite the Quran, Amin. But how many times, O oh knower of the unseen, until our sins are erased. In our dreams of spring, we see green trees, goat's milk, and markets full of vegetables. In our dreams of spring, we dance and sing in our colorful dresses.
0: Yeah, another powerful and important poem. Thanks so much for sharing that. That was Stephen Croft with Women of Gore. And uh, yeah, yeah, really good stuff. So you said you were you were in Afghanistan? I was. I was in Afghanistan
8: in 09 mm-hmm. through 10. And, and um, if there's time and if you got it, I did send a poem about Afghanistan too. Um, it's called organized
0: yeah i have that too do you want to explain a little about this sure feel free to read it um sure uh, let me explain
8: um i there's a, sort of a controversy among poets who write about war in my case my group is post 9 11 um how much of the military verbiage do you put in there mm-hmm. and uh you can't get away from um the, uh, the military wording altogether. So the first stanza has, has ECP in it, which means entry control point. Um, so just so you know that, and, um, the rest of it, I think you can visualize, but it, it is about our, uh, our front gate being hit by a car bomb and mm-hmm. which I, I witnessed.
0: Yeah. Well, I think including the the language is is part of the authenticity. So I'd encourage people to use it, even if people don't know exactly what it means. In most cases, I think it's probably better to include.
8: Right. Um, You just uh, are apt to get questions about it. Uh, I know I tried to call in last week and um, you mentioned uh, Bill Walsh, that you had had a poem published in his journal. And Mm -hmm. I talked to him because we're both in the state of Georgia and he's read some of my poems and I have to <laughs> explain um, the military terminology, uh, but I can't, I, you know, like I've told him, I can't get away from it entirely. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's all right. This is organized. Yeah, go ahead. In the gate video, it didn't appear like the souped up deathmobile in Animal House just another dusty sedan making a sudden turn into our ECP. But the scrape of car metal against low profile concrete barriers, sang discordant black magic spells into the audio until the flower of the explosion that rose and stopped me that morning as I walked, my boots planted in the sand in awe and disarray clouds the camera with sand spills the banks of the video monitor runs its imminence terrifying a camel spiders crazy zigzag over everywhere in the camp swinging its murderous head in its hands i talked to my friend a month later after his easy days in the hospital Tell him how we watched him turn from the car bomber and run until seconds later, the picture went black with smoke and sand. Let the scene loop from the blast to the revenant driver darting in again from the road, my friend running, and he tells me about the face he stared into for the time it takes to lift a rifle both fear and hatred in the eyes, how he turned to run for seven seconds in the video for his life, for his family, 7,000 miles away until a speed of sound rippling of shrapnel laid him down to sleep.
0: Another really powerful poem and a perfect addition to this episode in particular that was organized by Stephen Croft. Thanks so much for joining us and sharing that, Stephen. Thank you. Yeah, I hope you can share some more poems again in the future. Okay, let's go to, let's call it Patricia Casey. Hey, Patricia, how are you doing today?
7: Good, how are you, Tim? I'm
0: doing great. Uh, what do you have that you would like to share?
7: Okay, I uh, I have two poems, one for the prompt, ask a question and answer it in the poem.
0: Excellent. Um, Let let me. uh, Yeah, yeah. So, do you want to? Should uh...
7: should we trust the science? Is the first one.
0: Okay. Let me. Um, let's see. Let me put this in a word document because it's a little. It being centered, it makes it a little tricky. Um, to display. One second. Um, is there anything you want to say about this before you? uh, You start.
7: Well, I wrote this for uh, Poets Respond in September of 2021. Because of the government blaming the unvaccinated.
5: Oh yeah.
7: For for all of the restrictions on our lives. So I have a different viewpoint of what's causing all of that, but um, I think the poem can answer that.
0: Okay, yeah, sure. So is this uh, Should We Trust the Science? Yes. Okay, let me uh, go. I'll go ahead whenever you're ready. I, I got it.
7: Okay. Surobati, with infant-sized reproductive organs and massive breasts from mother's synthetic estrogen, diethylstilbestrol, warns that medical practitioners prescribe trust we should never believe in. 6,000 BC trepanning and the newer lobotomy, drill and mix to get your fix, ruined human beings. Was that science? Elixir sulfanilamides Chemist Harold Watkins, who didn't know the many deaths he would create with his helpful potion, took his own life. Bears hemophilia drug tainted with HIV and intentionally sold to poor countries. For what price? Gruenenthal, with their thalidomide, eased her morning sickness. It stole her baby's limbs and corrupted its mind. She complained. They threatened. Oh, and Pfizer and Bextra's $4.85 billion covered their guilt. Whose vaccine permeates your blood? It's our fault, the unvaccinated. If we would trust the science, everyone could return to normal lives. Or else, you'll take away our jobs, enforce what we abhor, pit one against the other. For what? Civil war? Revolution? Is that what you want?
0: Yeah, very interesting poem. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, definitely the track record of the pharmaceutical industry uh, does not warrant, um, you know, a lack of skepticism, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, so thanks for sharing that. And uh, and what's the other poem that you wanted to share?
7: So the other one is, I chickened out on last week's uh-huh. prompt poem, Taut Skin of a Fake Smile. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't want to read it last week. So then it's like, I still want to read this. So I thought I would try it this week.
0: Okay, go ahead. Yeah, this is a fun form, actually. I like the sound of it. But but go ahead.
7: Yeah. Okay. Taut skin of a fake smile. On the way to the store or other insignificant trip, rip to shreds your taut skin in rebellious fashion. Shun the forced smile while you blast. Alas, you need to be loved. Shoved up your crass ass. <laughs>
0: Yeah, very very good It uh, the sounds there. That's a really cool form. I do like that. Uh, thanks so much for sharing both of those, Patricia. Thank you, Tim. Yep, always a pleasure. Bye. It was Patricia Casey with uh, Should We Trust the Science and Taught Skin of a Fake Smile. And uh, yeah, yeah, very good stuff. Okay, and now let's go to, oh, we have an 805. I'll call in a second. Uh, just to remind you to turn off your stream when I call and uh, have your poem ready. Let's call up uh, Richard Westheimer. Hello, Richard. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. So um,
9: I think that poem you wrote for today was really special.
0: Well, thank uh, you. I, I worked a lot on it. Actually, it took a long time <laughs> to cram oh, I, all that in there.
9: Yeah, um, I mean, it, when I say it shows, I don't mean it in the negative sense, like it, like it's like <laughs> right on the surface. Yeah. smooth I, I last year, I tried to write a seer hen. Last time he came up for parole, mm-hmm. I wrote one, and um, uh, I wish it had been that one.
0: <laughs> well, it's just it does break my heart because I really do feel like he's a victim of uh, of MK Ultra, and it, it yeah. sounds crazy um, to say, but if you read those documents, that's exactly what they were doing at exactly that time at exactly the same place, with exactly well, the same technique. So, and um, my
9: question would be. Would RFK have paroled him? And the answer is mm-hmm.
0: yes. Yeah, I, I would say so too. I mean, it was the I mean, it was the enemies of RFK that that actually I don't know. I, I see. I don't know how much I should say. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> but uh, yeah,
9: even even without diving into that, really right yeah.
0: just the question about what would Robert Kennedy
9: do? The the later Robert Kennedy, not the earlier one who was mm. working for his brother. But uh, I loved it. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate um, so, it.
9: Uh, so do I have time for two?
0: Yeah, sure. I'm trying to find what you
9: had, though. What what did you want to read? Um, so I'll, I'll start with my Poets Respond poem, uh, which was a really interesting writing process. I, um, it was about um, uh, the hostage taking in the in the synagogue in Texas. And it was one of these where I started off with an intention to say something, mm-hmm. but I put it in a a sonnet would not let that happen. Interesting. And, and you know how poems just event bring something out that you don't expect. So this is an example of that, of a poem letting me know perhaps what I was really thinking.
0: Yeah, yeah, very interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing this. Go ahead, whenever you're ready. Um, can
9: I fit this fear in a box the size of a sonnet? This morning... My neighbor fires rounds at beer cans with his AR I flinch like a rabbit at each crack and keep as far away as I can when the shots stop I walk by and greet him though I'm told though I'm told he thinks I'm one of those elites which I am if by elites he means my tribe which he might At sunset we gather with friends on Zoom and quietly light our Havdala candles. I gaze at my face, haloed on the screen, sip the fruit of the vine, cradle the spice box, inhale the sweet, then douse the flaming wine. Out of the quiet, Ed shares the news. A friend, a rabbi, taken hostage. Silence, yet another Jew. We sigh, the wind picks up, sleet ticks at our windowpane. We shiver even in our fleeces. Never again goes the refrain. Susan suggests we light another candle. I kindle the flame. Always again, I think, flinching a bit like earlier in the day.
0: Yeah, that's a great poem. Thanks for sharing that, Richard. And and that's one of the things uh, just to think about that, that we sort of don't, you know like we talk about the school shootings so much but the thing that struck me was how how prepared that synagogue was because this is such a constant threat which we don't really think about um unless we're part of that community and it's it's kind of an a, an ignored um part of reality now like we talk about the school shootings and all those mass shootings but but the um religiously motivated ones we don't
9: yeah and and uh you know as as you know, one of the factors here is that, and, and this is, we were talking about this last night. So Havdalah is the Saturday night ritual that separates Shabbat from the rest of the week. So Shabbat's on Saturday, Saturday night, you do this ritual. Some of us do. Um, and On Zoom, since the pandemic, which is kind of fun, um, is that he was welcoming the stranger, which is a fundamental tenet of Judaism and, and subsequent, you know, It's a religious tenet. And that probably happens thousands and thousands of times a day in every church and mosque and synagogue in this country is that somebody is welcomed in. Um, And so here this man was welcomed in to sip tea, which has its own symbolic issues. And it resulted in this. So it's a a really – there are a lot of poems in that story. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what's this other one? We should do this one too.
9: Yeah, so this is uh, the question, and uh, actually I had this title of a poem sitting on my desktop for a year.
7: Interesting.
9: And, and so with nothing underneath it, so I decided this morning I'd give it a shot. I did the old Tim routine, not the new Tim routine.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, being on the, in the Eastern time zone, you have a little more time for Sunday right. <laughs> You know, yeah.
9: <laughs> so um, what is the smallest uninteresting number? 14,972, says one geometer. It's not a prime. It is no power to anything. It's not even a day's worth of seconds or the number of atoms in a virus, even though I read that 2,621, which is a prime, Americans died of one novel virus today, which may be interesting. And who knows how many died of another, which may not be interesting, but who's counting? which is interesting. But maybe 14,972 would be interesting if it had a dollar sign in front of it, or if it were the number of the Auschwitz guards tattooed on your granny's arm, or if it were the number of seconds to midnight on the doomsday clock rather than 100, which is interesting to me. And if it were the weight of a stone that an all-powerful God created that she herself could not move, now that would be interesting. The mathematicians say that uh, the, the mathematicians say if they had an infinity of time and an infinity of lists and paper and ink, then no numbers would be uninteresting. But they don't. And by that logic, when I run out of time, then even one would be uninteresting. But zero, not nothing. When I am that, you'll have to decide.
0: Oh, that is fascinating. I love that poem, too. What is the smallest uninteresting number? What a good question that is. Um, Yeah, very interesting. So I'm learning all sorts of things today. I'm loving these poems.
9: And there are two (laughs) definitions, briefly, of uninteresting numbers. There's Mm -hmm. the computational one, which is what is a number that is a size that it takes less computational power to create it than to write it?
0: Oh, interesting. That is, that is. I, mean, I didn't even think of that that version. And then, and then
9: there's this sort of the pure mathematical, mm-hmm. which is is almost philosophical. It you know, goes back to the Greeks and their relationship to math. It's like, how do you define an uninteresting number? What is an interesting number? And to hear mathematicians talk about this is just...
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is really cool. I, I love it. I, all the poems today have been great. From Bill to the open mic, it's been good poetry. So thanks for sharing two of them. Richard. Uh, th-
9: th- thanks, Tim. Have a good week.
0: Yep, you too. And it was Richard Westheimer with uh, what is the smallest uninteresting number and can I fit this fear in a box the size of a sonnet? Okay, who have we missed? Let's see, we have Caitlin. Oh, Mike Bales and Kimberly McNeil. So sorry to, to have you later in the show. But let's call you up. Hello. Hey, Mike. How are you doing today? Pretty good. I'm going to be on a... <clears throat> Project
10: reading some of like, my classic poems Thursday night. The P two project. The
0: the P two project. W- where can we find that?
10: Um, I'd say Google it. You know, I I'm in it. You know, uh, uh-huh. it's uh, about a photographer Steve Gere, out of Chicago, and I went to Evanston and took wrote some poems, about some strange photos of his that combine two different things. And I kind of wanted to be there among some of the others who I considered some of the best in Illinois. You know, I'm affiliated with the Rockford Writers Guild. So that'll be Thursday. That'll be exciting.
0: Yeah, that sounds fun. Um, So what do you have that you wanted to share today?
10: Um, This is about one of my favorite places, Wisconsin. It felt very homey to me. The Mm -hmm. times when I was working near there or or actually just north of the city. And it's called How to Find Wausau.
0: Okay, got it up whenever you're ready. Go ahead.
10: Take the span of U.S. 151 from Iowa into Wisconsin and watch currents of the Mississippi as it converses with itself. Watch the hills and bluffs as they rise and reveal themselves on either side of the highway as you pass through the driftless region. As tires of your van sing, listen to the land as it tells its stories. Turn north before reaching Madison you're on another mission and remember to travel light. What's left unresolved at home will wait for you while you live another life. Watch the landscape change before your eyes to thickets of forest and clustered lakes, although you can still find a strip mall at an exit on I-39. Lose yourself in time while the passing sun fades and skies turn dark. Take in all you can see, for you'll never know if and when you'll return. When downtown, listen as a barefoot girl plays a piano on the sidewalk and remember, a sense of joy can be found in unexpected places. Watch an older couple in the park, in the town square, walking hand in hand as if in love for the first time, as children play on the stage of the band show. Tomorrow, just an hour away, you'll spend the day in shadows in wonders of the great North Woods, as the secrets and the secrets they keep.
0: Yeah, excellent. Thanks for sharing that. Great picture painted of uh, Wasso. How do you say that, Wasso?
10: Wasso, it's spelled W-A-U-S-A-U, you know, different than the than the spelling of the town in Poland.
0: Yeah, very cool. Well, thanks for sharing that, Mike. Always a pleasure. Okay, thanks. Yep, take care. There's Mike Bales with How to Find Wasso. And uh, let's see who did I say else who else we oh yeah Kimberly McNeil here hello, hey Kimberly. how are you doing today?
11: I'm good, Tim. How are you? I'm great. What did you wanna share? um, I wanted to share n ninety five
0: okay let me uh let me try to find it, okay. I have along the road. That's not the one. No. Okay. Was it submitted to Poets Response?
11: Uh, yeah, I think
0: I did. Okay, let me let me pull it up there then. Oops. Help if help if I spelled McNeil right. <laughs> okay. It would also help if the server moved a little faster. There we go. Oh, N95, I see it right here. Okay, great, thanks. And so, so obviously, this is about n ninety five. Is there anything you want to say to, to introduce it?
11: Um, yeah, I have always thought that it would be the mask that we should be wearing mm-hmm. to really... Um, decrease viral spread but instead you know we've been wearing paper masks that i think are relatively useless except for i think that they reduce anxiety
0: yeah yeah there's a there's a lot of um, you know with the low especially with the omicron how little i think there's um, even a, a good study in uh, in Bangladesh i think that shows that They've reduced the spread maybe like 11%, whereas other, other masks are much better. Um, but they do, I don't know, I mean, if you sneeze, though, I don't know. It seems like they could, they'd still work. Anyway, let's hear this. N95s, and it's an experimental wraparound haiku, which I've never heard of before. Um, do you want to say anything about that that form?
11: Well, I just made up that name. Oh, yeah? That's cool. Yeah. So, okay, it's called N95. N95 masks. They are unavailable. Coronavirus. We are in deep shit. They are unavailable. N95 masks. Oh, yeah, excellent. And that,
0: that really especially applies uh, early on in the pandemic. There was a, when there was a shortage of them. And now, uh, I don't know, they don't make them kid-sized either, which is another problem. Um, but, yeah, thanks so much for sharing that, Kimberly. Sure. It was Kimberly McNeil with N95. And I think we're going to have to call it a show uh, today. Um, let's do a quick Psy-Coup. is getting late. We we extended the show pretty long. And here's a quick psy for you, though. This is um, an article that happened to catch my eye. A lot of times when I look at articles, I just wonder about the methodology behind the, the research. So I see a headline like this. Um, where is it right here? This is TV watching linked with potentially fatal blood clots. It's from the European Society of Cardiology. And, um, and, and I talked about how, you know, I do really halfway through the show, I like to stand up and stretch and move around a little bit. I just walk around my office for a second, um, just to, uh, to move. And this is why, because, um, you know, blood clots are a real thing and, and it's not good to be sitting in one position for the, for that long. Uh, but the thing about this study is that, um, they, uh, the the title implies causation, but there's no, there's no, uh. There's no con- causation going on here the, the scientists are quoting um, the findings indicate that regardless of physical activity, watching many hours of television is risky activity with regards to developing blood clots. But it was just based on a survey of, uh, that says, asked how much time do you spend watching TV a day? And they asked, um, have you gotten any blood clots? So they looked at their medical records and they found a correlation there with the number of hours of TV you watch with blood clots but if you're uh if you have trouble moving around and can't be very physically active, that might lead to both blood clots and watching more t v so it's causation versus correlation kind of issue, which you'd think that scientists wouldn't wouldn't get hung up on that still um but they do very often and so this is my psycho about that correlation causation problem that I see all the time in science papers. And I was hoping for just something better than a than a survey having a, a loose correlation that really means nothing, and this is uh, this is my psycho A mystery how the glistening of streets always brings rain, a mystery how the glistening of streets always brings rain, and that's your psicu for today, and that is the show for today. Once again, a great episode. If you're still hanging out with us after almost three hours, I appreciate it. We let we let a. Uh, you know, we let Bill Glose go on for a little longer. Then we had a great open mic session, too. I didn't want to cut anybody off. Um, and uh, so really great stuff all around. And uh, hope you hope you have a great rest of your Sunday. Next week's guest, uh, first I'll say next week's prompt. Next week's prompt is going to be... Write a poem with one word per line. The very simple one. Uh, write a poem with one word per line. I still have to do my question poem. Maybe I'll maybe I'll combine them both to catch up or something. But write a poem with one word per line. A very skinny short or skinny, you know, thin poem is the is the prompt for today or next week, and uh, we'll see what we do with that if we can find some interesting way to do it. And next week's guest in the Rattle cast is Lester Graves Lennon. Um, Lester was interviewed in Rattle number fifty. Um, I first heard about him when I started getting all these poems and submissions called Lennon lyrics. And Lennon lyrics is a certain form that he invented, and other people started writing him all the time. And so I said, who is Lester Graves Lennon? It turns out he's a poet and a banker, and retired now. He's on the board of a bunch of presses and, and things like that. and He's very active in poetry now, but, but uh, he's a banker originally. Um, he has a book out that I just loved that we talked about before, uh, but this is his newest book, Lynchings, Postcards from America. And um, their poem is based on these, these just awful postcard pictures of lynchings that, that Lester Graves goes through. And um, a really powerful book and a, and a wonderful person. So we're really looking forward to that episode 129 with Lester Graves Lennon. That is Sunday, January 30th, the usual time, noon Eastern at 9 a.m. Pacific. Hope to see you then. Hope you have a great rest of your week. And I will talk to you soon. Goodbye.